This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent decades. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience both for me and for my interviewees from around the world. Today we will be talking to Bruno Pesic, engineer, innovator and businessman based in Oslo in Norway. In Bruno's work, he helps business leaders innovate profitably, leveraging his broad experience from different industries, including defense, manufacturing, education, and financial services. He's an active member in the global startup community, co-founder of Norwegian Lean Startup Circle, and founder of the Institute Norway. Bruno is co-creator of Playing Lean, an award-winning board game for teaching entrepreneurship and innovation. So welcome, Bruno, and thank you for joining us on the line from Oslo today. Thank you, Patrick, for a great introduction. Lovely to be here. Delighted to have you. How are you keeping? Well, uh, pretty fine. I might say Norway has been seeing uh, really nice weather, albeit uh, maybe a bit uh, warmer than you would expect uh, in Norway, but uh, it's what can you say? It's sweet problems to have, at least now. Sure, sure. So I might ask you to, to tell me, so you're you're Croatian originally, but you're based now in Oslo, in Norway. You you, you started life, I understand it, as a, an engineer working in the defense industry, mm. and now you're an entrepreneur with various different interests. So could you give us just an overview of your career to date, um, from, from the beginning through to where you are now, just high level? Yeah, sure, sure. Would love to. So... Uh, as you said, by background, I'm uh, an engineer. I studied in uh, Croatia, being Croatian and everything. And I used to study aeronautical engineering and industrial engineering. And basically, industrial engineering deals with uh, systems as a whole and how to improve them. And while studying, I received a scholarship, which was a partnership between a Norwegian company called the Kongsberg Group and the Croatian company called the Juro Djakovic Group. And they were collaborating in the defense industry. So a Norwegian company has a weapon systems, remote weapon system, and Croatian company was assembling uh, battle vehicles. And they were putting these two together. And that's quite complex problem. And their intention was to take few students, get them to experience both Norway and Croatia, both work culture and education. And that's somehow uh, how I got started in both the uh, defense industry and how I got to meet Norway. Because I must admit, uh, before that scholarship, Norway was really not on my uh, you know, ambition map. It's, mm -hmm. it's not the country you often hear about uh, in Croatia. But uh, once I was there as a student and then back working, I really fell in love uh, with the country. Uh, some said, oh, you know, Norwegians, they're really cold and distant. But I don't know, maybe I'm cold and distant, so they suited me just fine. <laughs> but in general, I never really found them uh, that distant. As people say, they just socialize slightly differently. And going from there, I worked for several years in defense industry. And uh, when I finished with my uh, contract, I decided to try my luck, just packed up, you know, a backpack, sleeping bag and uh, moved to, to Norway. And since then, it was just uh, a crazy journey. So I ended up uh, working with different clients across Australia, Europe, uh, started several companies. You mentioned one of them playing lean with uh, an educational board game. And uh, in the last few years, I've been uh, specializing and focusing primarily on large corporates and solving a wicked problem of uh, innovating profitably. Because uh, it seems that a lot have taken that innovation is just about creativity and throwing hundreds of millions of dollars on 
fresh innovative solutions that at the end really don't change uh, the balance or improve anybody's life and that's it's a waste of human talent which is the the worst type of waste i mean mm. who wants to hear after a few years of work that their work was for nothing and how long have you been in norway now uh in total five years it was interesting as you were talking there you mentioned about uh, a systems approach mm. to engineering and now i think you're bringing a systems approach to innovation and i think a lot of people when they hear talk of a systems approach they don't fully appreciate what's being spoken about. We're not talking about IT or anything like that. We're talking about a way of viewing uh, the way things work in the real world. So how does a systems approach inform the way you look at innovation in business? It's a great reflection. So thank you for bringing that forward. And it's kind of, uh, you know, all these biases that we live with. So when I hear systems, I never think about IT systems. But now when you bring it forward, yes, I I can see why would some think about it. So for me, the benefit of systems thinking is looking at interactions between the elements. And these interactions is where there's a lot of improvement potential and when things start breaking apart. And w- when we're talking about elements, it's it's quite abstract concept, but I mean, almost anything can be broken down to elements. So if we are right now forming a system, you and me, we are two elements and we are using a bunch of equipment. Each of those is an element and there's all these interactions happening. And that's very simplified view that we can also take to the innovation and business processes. So kind of interfaces between departments, interfaces between humans, interfaces between technologies used, methodologies applied. So that's that's the value of systems approach to innovation problems. And it's kind of when we talk about difficult social problems, the reason they're difficult to solve is that they're systemic issues, which means that there's a lot of actors, a lot of players and there's no cookie cutter solutions. Therefore, we need system thinking and system solutions. So that was, maybe that was a bit abstract. What do you think? Well, I think it is a concept that sometimes it's difficult to get your head around, but I think it's probably encapsulated in this idea that the sum is, or the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? So Mm -hmm. when when you put things together to work in a system, you have properties that you can only notice at the systems level with all the things together. So you have this this idea of a property that emerges from a system. So you could say like a a person or an animal is made up of all of these organic elements together and life is like an emergent property that emerges out of all of those things been put together in the in the right way. So it is it is a little bit difficult maybe to get your head around. But nonetheless, it's a very useful way of looking at things. What do you think? Yeah, I I completely concur with that. And I, I think it's worth time investing into studying a little bit more. So kind of uh, if I may suggest to the listeners, I almost said readers, it's listeners, <laughs> is when it comes to system thinking and practical systems thinking, I really like the work of Russell Eckhoff. And he wrote a number of books and he is one of the key contributors in that field. So he has some really, really practical advice and views. And he also has quite humorous <laughs> views of, you know, how... how uh, systems set up for wrong purposes and it's mostly bureaucracy that he's making a fun of how you can always you know beat bureaucracies if you decide to bureaucratize bure- oh my god I cannot pronounce that <laughs> if if you yourself uh, Im- 
implement bureaucratic processes, yeah. then you can beat the bureaucracy itself. So it's kind of uh, how systems basically can self-perpetuate and uh, worsen over time, which is it's, it's quite an important concept in, in general that if things are left to themselves without any uh, intervention, they will actually deteriorate over time. Yeah, they have this property of uh, entropy where they kind of decay into chaos mm. as, as time goes on. What, what, what was the name of that author again, that, that expert you mentioned? Russell Eckhoff. Russell Eckhoff. A, yes, A-C-K-O-F-F. Yeah, I, I'd advise anybody who's in business, who's dealing with very kind of naughty, difficult problems, mm. particularly when there's a, a people element, to look into this world of uh, systems thinking because there's a lot of... Um, insights and tools that, that, that can be useful, I think. An alternative approach, which is also extremely valuable, is from Gregory Bateson. So he, he also had a systems view, but it was slightly different. And uh, while Ekhoff was more focused on technical view and business view, uh, Bateson was focused more on, or how could I say, he was focused on the systems, but eventually he started focusing on uh, what is actually truth in the systems. How, how do we get to know what is true and what isn't? And how do we build systems that are ecological? And I'm not talking about uh, uh, from the purely green perspective, but in general, how do we build ecologies that are sustainable? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of th these two body of work I found I find extremely inspiring and extremely practical and thought provoking. So. <laughs> Those are way beyond just IT systems or anything. I mean, Bateson doesn't even touch upon that. So it's uh, it's a valuable field to spend some time on. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very interesting. So r r right at this time, uh, because we came into contact through a, a network of global business uh, consultants is how we how we met. So uh, I understand you, you work on a consultancy basis for different clients, for a variety of clients. So what do you do for your clients? Who is your ideal client and, and where do you work? Are you focused on Norway? Or are you working across Europe or further afield? So I've been focusing uh, mostly on Europe, Nordics and Europe uh, because of, uh, how would you say, maybe I'm spoiled, but I decided that uh, traveling too far is uh, spending too much of my time and I want to start uh, a family and some other things. So I said, okay, it needs to be within, you know, six mm -hmm. hours of flight time. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of uh, Clients, well, what's really or has been really important for me, I have this benefit of being independent expert and I decided that my life is too short to work with people that do not want to improve or change. So I have exclusively worked with large companies that are actually already on a journey of trying to innovate, of trying to set up the systems to innovate better, more profitably, are struggling with it and are realizing that they're struggling. And this systems approach is actually a very good introduction because that's exactly the view kind of that I bring when working with the organizations. And kind of what I usually argue for is if you're talking about profitable innovation in large organization, when I say large, uh, it's above thousand, at least above thousand employees. It is at least more than one business unit. It is certain revenue numbers. And I mean, large revenue depends on country to country. And in this case, I always argue that, you know, there are three elements to profitable innovation and you must do all three of them. So kind of I say you must do innovation efficiently and you must govern or manage innovation effectively. And the third pillar is 
as you innovate, you must change the organization appropriately. And w when I talk about efficiency, effectiveness, uh, since working in different countries, this is where I usually encounter first thing I need to explain because many different languages and some languages don't have this difference. Mm -hmm. So kind of, I explain efficiency is doing something well, but without wasting time, effort or expense. While effectiveness is being able or producing an intended result with an effect. So efficiency is more focused on resources while effectiveness is more focused on impact. And the reason I, I make this distinction when it comes to doing and managing innovation is because they're intended for different purpose. If we're thinking about reducing risk for large organizations, that means that we need to increase a number of bets, so to speak, or a number of innovation projects because they have really, really high attrition rate. Mm -hmm. And that's normal. It's kind of if we had a crystal ball to know what innovation is great, then we would just do that and be, I don't know, insanely wealthy or successful. But we don't. That means that we need to set up a large number of ideas and teams to work on these ideas. But the governance, the management around that must be focused on actually producing the impact. That means that they don't need to focus that much on having the best spend of every minute, but actually making the best decision they have. And this appropriate change that came through, through my experience of both failing and succeeding, uh, because I started observing something that was absolutely fascinating to me. And that is in large organization, if there is a part of organization that starts to innovate really rapidly and successfully, you know, they're not really celebrated by the rest of the organization. In, in, in some cases, they, they even start to be seen as outsiders or, you know, egoistic or arrogant. Or troublemakers. And, and exactly, exactly. <laughs> kind of, okay, like these guys are troublemakers. Oh, you're innovating? Yeah, go. go. I, I cannot think you innovate for me. And I, I was just baffled. And I mean, when I started, you know, I went back and said, okay, let's let's take again systems view, humans, what, what, what. And I mean, it's, it's part of our nature. And it's really important. And I started stressing to my clients is if you're successful with innovating, with different innovations, taking them to market, you must be aware that there will be organizational consequences. You cannot just throw things around. Someone needs to work on them. If you're successful, that means there will be maybe new divisions, new sections. If you're not ready to integrate those people, then we must think about divesting or spinning out or something else. But we must be aware of that. And I really draw inspiration from uh, my martial arts background. So kind of th there is this concept, Sanbotsuki Ichi, which is when you're going for a throw, you must hit three points at exactly the same time. So you, you must pull, you must push, and you must position the hip all exactly at the same time in order to throw successfully. Mm -hmm. If you apply too much force on any of these points, you will not succeed because the skillful opponent will be able to evade. And I see the same here with innovation within large organizations. What do you find is the single biggest challenge that your clients face when they are looking to innovate in their business? Single biggest, uh, I would point out as a single biggest uh, lack of alignment. Between different uh, parts of the, the organization? Exactly. So it's uh, there, there is 
I mean, innovation capability skills, all of that can be trained. All of that can be trained. That's not an issue. Uh, there is, I, I never found it uh, enthusiasm to be the problem. I mean, I, all the people I work with, they're very creative, very enthusiastic. Uh, they have genuinely good intentions. But all of this repeatedly falls apart if there is no alignment. And it's usually lack of alignment is usually accidental in my experience. So kind of the management has put out a strategy which really isn't a strategy so it's kind of more like an activity laundry list we want a b c and d so it doesn't have anything around the choices and then it trickles down to the middle management who interprets that in their own way and then you have the frontline employees who are asked okay contribute ideas but they don't really have the insight neither from the top management neither from the middle management what are the strategic objectives and how to align that and then they bring ideas which they believe in and they're passionate about the middle management makes reports takes it to the senior management they start lamenting oh our employees they, they're so detached what is this we never asked for this mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so it's it's this alignment that I point out as, as number one, because un until that is fixed, potentially all good work can go to waste. And that, that's such a shame. And you touched on uh, sometimes the difficulty in understanding the differences, the nuances, say, between efficiency and effectiveness. And you're working, you're a, you're a Croatian working in Norway. So you've got the Balkan culture on the one side, you've got the <laughs> Scandinavian culture on the other. And then you're working with professionals from many different cultures. So what kind of funny cultural anecdotes have you come across in your, in your work over recent years? So what I observed and uh, experienced, Norway is really open. So Norwegian population isn't that big. It's 5 million. For comparison, there's also 5 million uh, Croatians as well. And uh, Norwegians are quite open in terms that in their companies, you will really meet a lot of different cultures. And uh, I don't know if funniest, but uh, definitely amusing from time to time, especially when it doesn't happen to you, is the clash between uh, high context and low context societies. So kind of... In, in Norway, yes is yes and no is no. So, so it's kind of, in Croatia, you will have these uh, cycles of, um, oh, you know, would you like a cup of coffee? No, no, thank you. But I insist. No, 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 thank you very much. But come on, I insist. Okay, okay, we, we will take it. Yeah. And in Norway, it doesn't work. It's, uh, we like to have a coffee. No, okay, bye-bye. <laughs> so, so this yeah. is extremely simplified uh, for social scenarios, but I've seen it uh, happen again and again, you know, in the meetings. Oh, you, you actually meant that? Yeah. Yes, yes, we meant that. I mean, that's a deadline. Why wouldn't we mean that? So it's kind of this, this small things. But it's, it's always in good humor and everything gets uh, fixed. I can really say that I haven't seen a lot of cases or experienced a lot of cases where someone was attacked for that or was thought less of. And again, that's, that's what I love in kind of uh, Norway and working with Norwegian I, clients. I but in a, general, oh, I've, sorry. I've had a similar experience. My, my wife is Spanish, so I'm, my wife's family, mother-in-law, you know, when you're at the dinner table, you mm. know, so you have, 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 have more food. No, thank you. I go, go on, you will. Have more, have more. No, I don't really want to. And this whole thing goes on, this rigmarole goes on. So the Spanish, <laughs> the Spanish are quite like the Croatians in, in, in that mm. respect. So oh, tell me, what are, your, what are your plans for the future for your business in terms of uh, new services, new sectors, new markets and so on? So it's, uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, I've been focusing on uh, putting down some of my observations and knowledge uh, into a book. So I've been uh, working with that. I've been also helping a friend of mine 
contributing to his book chapter. So the book I'm working on is focusing on, on something that to me seems obvious and, and feels like it should have been written about many, many times. But when you get to it, it's still difficult to find high quality resources. And that is around kind of growing profitably for one, not, not just growing at any cost, growing market share in this case specifically. And second, growing in the market you're already present with the resources you have. And that is something that uh, got a bit of bad reputation with the, you know, the Blue Ocean strategy and, and similar books that are saying, stay away from that, stay away from that at all costs. But just like the body, where the strong core is extremely important for, you know, your health, mm -hmm. your ability to move and co conduct physical activities, the same is for business. Strong, healthy core gives you the opportunity to innovate. If, if you have weak foundations, what are you going to innovate? Then innovation is kind of a sign of desperation swinging for the fences. Mm -hmm. And another one is uh, with my friend uh, Dan Toma. Uh, he's writing a book on innovation accounting, which is extremely exciting field. It's quite a, a novel and up and coming field, which is looking at how accounting practices don't really do justice to innovation projects. So how can we not replace, but add to the body of knowledge of accounting for measuring performance of innovation, measuring innovation, go to market, and in general, setting up measurable governance around innovation. So it's these two are kind of what I'm focusing a lot on, in addition, of course, to, to helping my clients innovate profitably. <laughs> Very good. There's a, there's a question I, I ask most people who I interview. You know, the, the, the theme of the program here is, is globalization, mm. and globalization is going through uh, lots of change, you know, with ebbs and flows. And uh, in recent years, we've been in a kind of a pushback against globalization. So I'd just like to get your, your view on it. So... You, I, I guess you being a being a Croatian in in, in working in in Norway and working internationally, you're you're almost a product of globalization in in a way. Um, so where do you think we are with this? You know, we've had Brexit, we've got U.S. protectionism, we've got trade wars, rising nationalism, and so on. So do you think are we are we stalled? Are we going backwards? Is it a pause? Where, what's your view of where globalization is at at the moment? I think that topic in general is, is quite fascinating and there's probably everybody in the world who has at least some semblance of opinion on it. And in general, I was just having a discussion uh, maybe a week ago around uh, how the narrative around a lot of things have shifted to being more negative. And globalization is, is one of those as well, where it's, it almost seems like more people are presenting negative sides instead of uh, positive sides. And j just to check globalization, because I, I have some notes, I've seen that... Uh, Already in the 90s, people were using words like uh, shattered dream of globalization, uh, you know, that it led to servitude and technological breakthrough didn't, didn't bring the social reforms that we hoped for. But uh, just like you said, kind of, I have, I have had and I do have positive experience with it. I'm, I don't want to say assuming, but uh, the happenings within Europe and in the world, I see our kind of reactions to some negative sides and potentially threat of losing an identity. Yeah. Because I, I think these questions of identity is something that's very close 
to everybody, especially when we're talking about groups of people. And I have noticed that a lot, both with, with myself and when moving around. So, for example, when I'm speaking with an individual who is of a different nationality, it's completely different interaction versus when that individual is now in a group of people of the same nationality. Suddenly you, you can see and experience th this shift in what do we talk about and how do we talk about these things. Most common thing I see in that case is when, for example, you and me are talking about Croatia and Ireland as individuals, we are more likely to talk about bad sides as well. But when, when it's a group, then it's suddenly, you know, this is good and there are no bad things and kind of starting to challenge these bad things. And th that's just a curious thing I've been noticing. In general, I believe that uh, globalization is uh, mostly positive and that we should strive to figure out, you know, and improve things that we know that aren't working that well and keep things that are working. Good. Okay. So now as we come into the uh, last part of the interview, I just kind of change tack a little, maybe just ask you a little bit about yourself. So outside of work, what, what kind of things do you like to do? I think martial arts you mentioned along the way, yeah? Exactly, exactly. That, that, that's probably the biggest uh, thing. It's like one third of my life. So ever since I was a kid, both of my parents are martial artists. So I've been also practicing uh, as a kid. I started with uh, karate as I think I was six years old. And then I moved to wrestling, Olympic wrestling, and then Muay Thai, which is uh, Thai boxing. And for the, or when was it? Since 2008, I'm a member of uh, Genbukan, which is a traditional Japanese uh, martial arts. So I've been uh, training for over 20 years now. And, uh, you know, for me, it's just a lot of fun. But I also find it extremely useful for uh, business because it gives this uh, confidence and a lot of mindsets, not techniques. I don't walk into business meetings and throw people around <laughs> there. That's not acceptable. <laughs> but, but around, you know, the mindset kind of keeping your cool. It's an interesting perspective. Have you, you, you mentioned earlier that you, uh, some writings by uh, Akoff and Bateson. Um, yep. Have you read anything lately that was particularly inspiring that you'd like to share with, uh, with listeners? The problem is I, I read a lot and then so I don't what's, think what's the last what's thing what's, what's the last thing you read? The last thing was actually uh, part of an um, academic book but I really, really enjoyed it because it was not written as academically. Uh, it is called Writing as Inquiry. And it basically focused on how to use writing to find things out. Because we usually talk about writing as form of communication. Uh -huh. So, you know, we need to be to the point. We need to be concise. Uh, uh, eliminate all, all jargon, eliminate all technical words, and that's perfectly fine. But in this, they, they put a thesis forward, or more like instructions forward, how to use writing in order to find more about certain problems. And uh, the specific thing that they share there is a technique called writing stories. So let's say uh, that you write a blog post or that we have a transcript of, of this interview. And then you take that and then you write a story about it. You say, you know, you're writing about what were you thinking? What led up to that? How did you feel during that? How do you feel after that? So it's kind of imagine like in the center, you have this piece and then you're building context. You're writing context around it. And then you get the third layer where you can step back and reflect on all of that. So it's kind of you start extracting. You almost start extracting 
thoughts from your subconsciousness. I just found it mind-blowing and I, I said, okay, I, I need to try this and yeah, see well, what you, happens. You often hear writers talking about writing being a cathartic experience because often it's through the writing that they make sense of their own thoughts and their feelings mm. or they're able to understand something better that they had inside, but r- the writing enables them to view it differently. It's quite um, surprising um, feeling, I think, when people when people write and that happens to them, but uh, in- very interesting. So, listen, tell me where can people find out more about you, more about your business and and your thinking? You know, website, blog, so on. Yeah, perfect. Uh, very simple. P e s e c dot n o. So it's every, everything is there. My blog, uh, uh, my contact information, work, everything is there. I like to keep it simple. So you'll be able to find the, everything there pretty much open and available for your perusal. Okay, so that's P-E-S-E-C, which is your surname. Uh, yes. I guess if we were reading that in English, we'd probably say PESEC, P-E-S-E-C dot N-O. And that's where people can find out all about you, your business, your thinking and uh, everything else. So thank you, uh, Bruno. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure talking to you today. We'll have to leave it uh, uh, there for for today, unfortunately. Um, But thanks again and um, wish you the very best both professionally and personally in the future. Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure and I wish all the best to you and your listeners. Many thanks, Bruno. And thanks also to our listeners. And remember that if you would like to find out more about globalization, international business and how we can help you to formulate and implement business strategies that deliver, please check out my blog and website on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which can be purchased on Amazon and Google Books. This is Patrick Daly of Alba Consulting. Goodbye and keep well until next time. Time.